Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show with your host, small business expert, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. Join us every Monday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To be a guest or for more information, go to capbuildertalk.com. Post comments on facebook.com forward slash capbuildernetwork. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Cap Builder Talk with your host, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people talking about real issues facing small business in our community today, helping you build the capacity to change your life, and as I say every week, helping you to walk in your purpose. This show's topic is telling the real African-American story. What is the real African-American coming to America story? We used to know what it was. Matter of fact, at one point in our history, it was mandatory that not, we not only learned it, but also passed the information on to our following generations. Well, it's not that way anymore. You stop any African-American people person today and just ask about our history, and you're liable to get a variety of answers. You know, in the public schools, they're taught that Africans were brought to America as slaves, we're then freed, and now we live happily ever after. This is so not the story. But in this day of information overload, where can we go to hear the true story? Not only the story about how we came to America, but most importantly, the backstory about who we were long before America even existed. I ask again, where can we go? to hear the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, I have three words for you. The Apex Museum. Apex stands for the African-American Panoramic Experience. Today on this very special show, I have the great honor of speaking with Mr. Dan Moore Sr., the founder of the Apex Museum, which is celebrating its 40-year anniversary. We're gonna discuss the founding of the Apex Museum, who Dan Moore Sr. is, his views on the state of our community today. And, you know, the big question is, have we learned anything from our history? So I'm going to take a short break. And when I come back, I'm going to do the Cat Builder Minute tonight on how to transition from working practitioner to an industry expert. Then I'm going to start this conversation with Brother Dan Moore Sr. about the Apex Museum and the state of our community today. All this today on the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. I'll be back in a moment. how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. 
Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Yes, the buzz has begun. The 7th Annual Nonprofit Trinity Awards will be taking place at the Ray Charles Performing Arts Center, 900 West Inn Avenue, Southwest Atlanta, Georgia, 30310, on Sunday, August the 26th. Women, get off those beautiful gowns, and men, look sharp with your tuxes. Best swag. Walk down the red carpet at 5 p.m., and the show begins at 6 p.m. Oh, yes, there will be hors d'oeuvres, entertainment, and so much more. Go to www.nonprofittrinityawards.org for more information. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative, and that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Mark Parry. I'm coming back. As you can see, this is a James Brown night for me tonight. You know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about transitioning from a working practitioner to an industry expert. You know, right now, a lot of people are coming to me. They want to quit their jobs and they want to get out there and become an industry expert. And they're asking me how to do it. You know, so I'm going to talk about just for a few minutes about how to do that. Just a few things I want you to consider. Now, if you want to transition from working within your industry with clients and customers to writing and teaching your industry expertise on a larger scale, I want you to listen to some of the things I have to say. First thing, some of you are not going to like this, but you need to stay in your day job for as long as you can. Don't quit. You have a huge advantage right now. You have a career. You're making money. I want you to work on building your platform on the side while you have an existing job. Okay, that's the first thing. Don't quit your job. Next thing I want you to do is I want you to find out a why beyond yourself. A lot of times people come to me and they're just talking about me, 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 about themselves. But I want you to think about why you're really doing this beyond you. You know, a lot of you love the idea of being an expert. You want to do speeches. You want to write book deals. And you want to get... Thousands and thousands of Instagram followers. However, the most successful entrepreneurs have been mission-focused. Having a vision beyond yourself keeps you going past the roadblocks, setbacks, and failures, and yes, haters that await you as you're trying to get out there and do your thing. So you have to find out what your bigger purpose is. So I want you to worry on that. And I want you to remember the expert business is still business. You got to treat your business like it's a business before it's a business. I'm going to say that again. You got to treat your business like it's a business before it's a business. Your first step should be to set up an LLC, get a bookkeeper, get a business credit card, set up a real business. You know, and p- learn how to pay yourself first. You got to figure out how to set this business up and make sure that it's going to work for you. And if you have a family and you have kids and you're an entrepreneur, you really need to focus on 
making sure that this business is straight before you get out there and risk everything. You know, you're going to find that a lot of people with multi-million dollar businesses made no profit at the end of their first year. Some entrepreneurs are proud of this fact, but it's important that you stick to it. But I want you to make a list of everything that can go wrong. Then when you finish that list, I want you to make an even longer list. I want you to understand that financial security is important. And one of the ways to get through it is to have a bunch of cash. So that's why if you're working, learn how to save your money so you have a little buffer. And I want you to focus also on serving the customer. A lot of you get out here, you want to start businesses. You may be passionate, but you have a good message, but nobody wants to hear it if it's not about them. Okay, so I want you to also model yourself after other experts. There's a lot of other people out here that have done it successfully. You know, when I first started, I modeled myself after Tim Ferriss. He wrote a book called Four Hour Work Week. I liked it, so I modeled myself after it. So I want you to think about doing it like that, okay? Because it's important, all right? You're probably going to have to write a book. So I want you to get out there and write one. You know, and writing the book is going to help you get these ideas out of your head. The next thing I want you to be prepared for the grind. It's going to be hard work. I want you to stick with it because you got to stay with it. And the last thing I want to tell you is stay true to your values. Okay? That's the most important thing. I want you to list out your five core values to guide your life. Look at your time, energy, and talents and resources and stick with it. This is Mark Parham. Cat Builder Minute. Great show for you today. I'm going to take another break, come back with Brother Dan Moore. We're going to talk about some very important topics about living in America. I'll be back in a minute. Mind power. Mind power. Mind power. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes I did the same things over and over, until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Cat Builder Talk radio show with your host, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people, talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. Hey, this is Mark Parham, and I'm back. You know, there comes a time, I've been doing this show like four years now, and sometimes you have a guest that you're just so excited about having on, you just can't wait for the show to start. So tonight, uh, I'm very fortunate to have Brother Dan Moore, you know, uh, entrepreneur, filmmaker, producer, writer, 
cinematographer, editor, exhibit designer, photographer, author, you know, 40 years ago, Dan Moore started the Apex Museum. You know, I plan to read his, his whole bio, but we'd probably be here for more than an hour and only have an hour. So instead, I'm going to welcome Dan to the show and just start this conversation. Dan, how you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Mark, and it's good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You know, I'm, I'm happy to have you here, man. I, uh, I'm going to give you some, some applause and everything, man, you know. And I, I tell you, I, you know, I feel like I've known you forever and you know, because uh, you, you, I'm sitting there, I'm even choked up for words, even how to describe how I feel about you. But I'm just so proud of what you've been able to accomplish as a representative of being a young man, looking at you staying true to your game. Okay, just staying focused. And um, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate the, the time you spent with me and the time that we've shared uh, on this journey together, which is still going strong. So I just want to congratulate you on the 40 years of the Apex Museum. Well, thank you. So I'll I tell you what, Dan, you know, a lot of times people – uh, I, I, I do want you to do a self-introduction to introduce yourself. Then we'll get into talking about the Apex Museum just to make sure people know who you are. So just go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll start talking first about the Apex. Well, I'm Dan Moore, Sr. I'm founder and president of the Apex Museum, and I just do what I'm called to do. Just make it happen. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. That's why I had to read some of your bio, because you're so modest. I knew you were going to come up with something like that. But... So let's talk about the Apex Museum and um, what it is and why you even 40 years ago decided to embark upon this journey about starting it. Well, Mark, um, first of all, I'm not a museum person at all. I'm a filmmaker. And I came to Atlanta in 1974. And in 1978, I had the pleasure of going to a banquet where they were honoring Dr. Benjamin E. Mays, President Emeritus of Morehouse College. As I sat there in my seat and listened to all the accolades given to Benjamin Mays, I began to wonder to myself, is there some way we can make sure that this man lives on after he's gone, and not only him, but others who have made great contributions. And then I realized that Atlanta did not have an African-American museum. And I asked myself the question, why doesn't this city, of all the cities in the nation, not have an African-American museum that would really tell our story from our perspective? And so being what I, who I am and what I do, if there's a gap to be filled, I just do my best to try to fill it. So I gather together a few. You dropped out there a little bit. Can you? Senior, you still with me? Uh, I'm sorry. Now, I was I was off for a second. I'm sorry. All right. Was I caught so off at any part? Well, you said you gathered together a few people. That's where you left off. 
Okay, and we, we started the Apex Museum in 1978, and the mission was to make sure that our young people especially were able to get a look at history that's told from our perspective so they could understand who they are, they could understand what they have, what our ancestors have contributed not only to American but to world history. But you're saying youth, but, it's, uh, you know, I think it's so much more than that. I mean, it's it's everyone. I, I, you know, when I was growing up, I was very fortunate that parents had made sure we understood where we came from. But I, I think the mission of the Apex is, you you might have started it for you, but I think it's become such an important, you know, uh, place now because we all need to know. Okay. Mark, so, so what tell- you're saying is true. Uh, <laughs> while our concentration and my thoughts were of the youth mainly, you are correct because many people who were born right here in Atlanta have no recollection or no knowledge at all of some of the great heroic efforts that were made by men and women who preceded us only by a few years. And just for example, Auburn Avenue was one time called in 1956 the richest Negro street in the world by Fortune magazine. And many of us who are here today, many of those who were here when I came, have no idea of what these individuals went through and what they sacrificed to make sure that Auburn Avenue uh, remained uh, a very, very vibrant. I'm having a little difficulty with this phone here, so bear with me, but. Yeah, believe uh, it. You're back. All right. You're back. Yeah, you're yeah. back. <laughs> no worries. So, so I tell you what. The question that I have for you that that's important is that you're not even from the South, okay? All right. You're that's from true. Philadelphia. Prior to you coming here, did you know the history that you're talking about now, or just something you you learned on your journey? Tell everyone else. Well, no, I knew a lot about history because my father uh, talked a lot about Marcus Garvey. Even though um, we didn't have a a strong background in history, I I was well aware by my father's presence and his attitude and his thought processes, we had contributed more to history than was being told. And uh, one of the things that I, I encountered when I came here was the fact that I am not from the South, and so many people question this Yankee coming to the <laughs> South and how to preserve our history. But that aside, I knew we had to have an institution, we had to have a place where we could really tell our story as it is, and again, what's necessary is being told from our perspective. I've been to places where you hear stories about history and you would think that it was the happiest time in our life. Right, and that we right. were dancing and, and having fun and playing banjos and uh, very, very comfortable. But we know that that story is untrue and that our story has a lot to do with being not only captured and put in chains physically, but unfortunately put in chains mentally. Right. 
Yeah, and I think that's so important. So you you start this journey. I'm gonna open up this Apex Museum. This is 40 years back. I mean, let's just talk. I don't, I don't want to talk about too many struggles that you had because I probably have to get out some tissue. You had to get some tissue. <laughs> we'll start. You know? But let's just talk about during the time when you started it. What kind of opposition did you get to decide when you decided to embark upon this journey? Well, most of the opposition came from people in in Atlanta, African Americans, who wondered and asked me, first of all, who sanctioned it. In other words. Who gave me permission to start this museum? And I was really taken back at that because I never asked for permission to do whatever I felt I needed to do. And so um, it was a challenge to me to understand, but the uh, residents here in this city wanted to know who gave me permission or who sanctioned me starting an African-American museum here. And so a lot of the opposition came at that point but um as always you know i look at things listen to listen to people uh take what is um helpful leave the rest and i keep going and and you have kept going throughout all these trials and tribulations i mean you you've seen a lot here and you and now tell me this. This is one question. Why did you pick to put the museum down on Auburn Avenue? You know, there's all kind of places in Atlanta that you could have probably housed this thing. What made Auburn Avenue uh, uh, a choice for you? Well, Mark, we looked for a, a space for the museum for a number of years, actually, and uh, even though uh, initially it started just out of the office that I had for my film company. Uh, at one time, Dr. Robert Threet, who was the president of Morris Brown College, wanted to start a, a museum in Morris Brown College. And he sent Dr. Lee Ransaw and Dr. Hodges to talk to me to find out what I was doing. And then they talked to me, and we had a very good conversation. They went back to Dr. Threet and said, I don't think the Morris Brown should start a museum. I think we should just join forces with the Apex and help uh, this museum get on its feet. And that's when Dr. Three offered to us a space at 171 Ashby Street, uh, right near Marsh Brown College and right near Morehouse College. So our first official space was actually on Ashby Street. Hmm. Our search led us to a lot of places. And then one time Dr. Bill Hammond, who was a member of our board, came to me and said, I saw a place that I think would be perfect for the apex. It needs a little bit of repairs, he said, but I think it's perfect. Well, he took me over to Auburn Avenue, and what I saw on the corner of Auburn Avenue and Cortland was a B.F. Goodrich Tire Company. But then I saw next to that was an old, dilapidated building. It was used as a tire warehouse. It was in very poor shape. It was built in 1910 as a school book depository, but it would rain on the outside and pour on the inside. <laughs> wow. Somehow, Open Avenue resonated with me when I heard about how important it was to the city and how many people uh, on Auburn Avenue made great sacrifices and how many men and women uh, put themselves uh, on the line to build this empire on Auburn Avenue. 
So at that point, I uh, contacted the owner, found the price of the of the land and the building was $2.3 million. We had a brand new company that had no assets, but we, arra- but we arranged to get this thing financed. In fact, I got a call from someone I did not even know named Bill Gibbs, who was a banker at that time with Bank South, and said, I heard you're trying to buy this property, and I think I can help you. So he arranged a loan for us to buy the building we're in now, at 135 Auburn Avenue, and the adjoining lot for $2.3 million. We signed the agreement, but the interest-only payment was $15,000 a month. Now, please don't ask me how we did that. I have no (laughs) idea. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but that but that's what we talk about walking in purpose. <laughs> you know, it somehow happened. It somehow happened. I I knew this was the, the the place for us, and I knew we had to do this. So we accepted this challenge of fifteen thousand dollars a month, and um, we did not miss a payment until we were able to fulfill a um, a request of Fulton County. They wanted to build the uh, research library, the black research library on Auburn Avenue to move it from where it was down the street, but had no space to put it. So I was able to cut a deal with the Fulton County, um, with Fulton County uh, to buy the land totally and then give us an option to buy our, our portion back. So in essence, we were able to provide a space for the now Auburn Avenue Research Library to be built. Uh, we just scaled down our, our project, decided to do a, a um, vertical build as opposed to a horizontal build, and uh, that's where we uh, landed, and we got some support from the Fulton County uh, commissioners, and that's what gave us a major boost in where we are today. So let's talk about this. You know, when you first started, you had this mission of educating youth and things like that. Do you do you think that the mission for the Apex is, is still valuable? Uh, I know you do because you're still in business, but what is the impact now? How, how important do you think the mission of the Apex is today? I think it's more. I think it's more important now than it was 40 years ago. Right. Uh, Forty years ago, we had people on Auburn Avenue who understood the importance of black businesses. And so you had men back even in the 1920s, men and women, who actually built an empire on Auburn Avenue. You had an ex-slave, um, Alonzo Herndon, who had a barbershop, but then started a life insurance company that he built to become the second largest black-owned life insurance company in the nation, second only to North Carolina Mutual. You had a black bank that started on Auburn Avenue, Citizens Trust Bank and Mutual Federal Bank. You had the Royal Peacock. You had the Herndon Building, where almost all of your professionals had offices in the Herndon Building so blacks in the 1920s and 30s could go to the Herndon building and find anything they needed from the accountant to the 
tailor to the person who could give them uh, an eye exam to anyone they needed to help them in life's uh, life's mission uh, was all there at the Herndon building. That's all gone. And the question yeah, I was going to ask you, what's happening today down there? What's going on on Auburn Avenue today? Well, we're looking at uh, what they call now gentrification, which is another word for colonization as far as I'm concerned, because the street has changed its complexion. And uh, the question I ask over and over again is how is it that ex-slaves can build an empire that free slaves can't maintain? And they had much less education, much less access to finances, we have all these educators now, all of these doctors and PhDs and all of these degrees, but yet we cannot do what they did with very little. I guess the, the question comes, you know, apparently they don't feel a need for it. Why do you think we're not doing it? I mean, are we just caught up in other stuff now or, you know, you're all about me or what do you think the reason is that it's not being done? I think there's several reasons. I think one of the reasons is um, we're still dealing with a slave mentality, and we are still um, enamored by by white privilege, and we still bow down to white privilege, and somehow we haven't gotten out of our consciousness that we have our own agenda, that we can put our resources together and build whatever we want to build for our communities and for our children and for generations to come. But our mindset doesn't allow us to even think that way. And as soon as integration came, we fled Auburn Avenue, went on Peachtree Street and beyond, and just forsook all that was going on on Auburn Avenue. And a prime example of that is the Butler Street Y. When I came here, the Butler Street Y was was, uh, popping, as, as they would say, and the Butler Street Y, um, in my opinion, was a, a meeting place where blacks could go and they would be able to um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, mm-hmm. get what they needed from Butler Street Y. The Butler Street Y has been in this repair for years, and many of the people who are leaders in this city have gone through the Butler Street YMCA, but seemingly no one or very few people have lifted a finger to help preserve that institution, even though it was a key uh, element in our community. Oh. So, yeah, you know, like I said, we could probably have a show for hours on this. But my, I guess my question now to you is: the apex is where it is now. What are some of the plans you have for the future for the apex? Well, uh, Mark, the the future for the apex is we are going to uh, do what we had intended to do back 40 years ago, and that's fulfill the mission of having a first-class African American history museum that transports the visitor back in time and virtually allows you to walk through ancient African history, ancient African civilizations, understand and learn all the contributions that Africa 
has given to world history, that includes astronomy, that includes architecture, that includes mathematics, that includes written language, that includes medicine. Uh, so we can understand that we are, our history did not begin in slavery. Right. We taught the world right. everything they know they know now. So we're going to have the visitor walk through that history, physically aboard the hold of a slave ship, get the understand the trauma of that voyage, see what an auction block is like, see what slavery is like, and then understand what we have to do to maintain our dignity and catch a hold of who we are to leave for our generations to come a very positive image and view of the African and African-American experience. So so what does it take to do something like that? I mean, you know, you want to have this, you want to tell the story even bigger. What what kind of support do you need in order for something like this to happen? Well, you know, we have known all along it's going to be a, an expensive project. It's going to cost about $40 million to do what we want and need to do. I have stayed away from borrowing that kind of money because I have seen too many museums borrow money like that or float a bond based on projections that they knew were not were not true to sustain the institution. Not only see our doors open, and then two years later we can't even maintain what we have. So mm-hmm. I'm uh, prayerfully and carefully looking at putting together what we need to put together to make this happen without a large amount of debt service that will bury us in two or three years. So we're now looking at our plans, looking at a combination of debt service along with fundraising so it does not get out of balance. And we also raise enough money to have an endowment so we don't have to go through what other museums have gone through and have our doors closed or our staff cut back after two or three years of operation. Well, that's a great journey. So it's going to... It's going to take a village to make this happen. But so, and speaking of, but speaking of village, you got this great event coming up at the end of the week, this celebration of your anniversary, and uh, you know you describe what's going to happen there, and it's like this is the village. You're going to talk about the village that helped you build what you have. Let's talk about this event that's coming up on Saturday. It's Saturday. We're going to have open house at the Apex, which is located at 135 Auburn Avenue. That'll be Saturday and Sunday. But Saturday at 3 o'clock, we're going to have a special presentation to show the 40 years of the Apex and its, its history. And our, our keynote speaker will be none other than Susan Taylor, who was the editor-in-chief of uh, Essence Magazine for a number of years. And we'll have a book signing. I have finally decided to do my book, so we'll have a book signing. Uh, at the uh, event also. It's coming Saturday from 3 p.m. until 4.30. And uh, that will kick off uh, the rest of this year when we will concentrate on fundraising uh, to meet our uh, initial goal of $40,000 for this year and then move into next year with with a business plan to allow us to not only build the institution but to be in a position to maintain it. Wow. So does this uh, event this Saturday, you know, how do people find out? Does it cost? Can they just show up? Or, you know, where do they go to find out more information about it? Of course, we are on social media like everybody is on (laughs) Facebook. 
So we are we are pushing this out. Uh, it is a free event, um, and again, we're not we're not bringing folks together to entertain. We're bringing folks together to cha- make a challenge. So we're going to come together. We're going to look at what our plans are. We're also going to acknowledge some of the people who have played significant roles uh, throughout this 40 years. Uh, people often say, this is my museum. No, this is not my museum. This is mm-hmm. our museum. Right. And we have it collectively. So we're going to be honoring some of the people who have played key roles in making this happen and then go on to the book signing. And this will launch for the next several months our effort to... Dropped out there again. I want to also say that uh, the Apex is more than a museum. We have had the privilege, and I do mean privilege, of helping more than 25 people start their nonprofits and get 501c3 status. We've helped more than 20 people get books published. The youngest of which is, was a five-year-old, I'm a seven-year-old, who published his first book after asking me if he could publish a book and I was helping his mother. And his first book was called uh, Extinct and Non-Extinct Animals and Their Survival Skills, and he was seven years old. He has yeah, I remember him. <laughs> we have one, one young lady we've helped uh, several years ago, uh, Miss Desiree Lee, and she has gone on to do some tremendous things um, last I heard, she has set up an organization called Authors in Business, and she has helped more than 300 people become authors. Wow. Wow. So this kind of seed we have planted that's making a difference and it's reverberating uh, across our community. Man, you know, and from the time I spent down there, I've watched these people come in a little bewildered, and you sit down, you're so patient. And they walk out, chest stuck out. They can take on the world, man. But that goes to that whole village thing, man. And I, I, I just can't say enough about the work we've done down there. And I, I like the way you always say our museum because it really is. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of people are working very hard to make it happen, and that's why I, I really, you know, want to be supportive. And we're going to raise this forty million dollars because. We need to make sure this story continues to get told, but get told the way that we want it told, okay, the way it needs to be told so people understand the power of where we came from. And, and, you know, and and a lot of times if you don't know where you come from, it's hard to figure out where you're going. You hear people say so. So, Dan, I won't hold you much longer. I do want to ask you, you know, as I say at the end of every show, if you'd like to, you know, pearls of wisdom that you may want to people that, you know, that to keep them. You know, what keeps – I'll tell you what, it's been 40 years. What has kept you motivated to keep doing what you do in spite of the trials and tribulations that I know you have experienced? in moving this thing forward? Well, Mark, I can truthfully say that it is the mission that has kept me where I am. I understand the importance of this project. When I see young people who are disconnected 
from our history, I know the importance of what we're doing. That is foremost in my mind. And from that point, it becomes very easy to keep moving. All right, my brother. Well, I look forward. You know, we'll be there, you know, Saturday, hanging with you, doing my thing, making it do what I do. But um, And I'm going to make it a point to stay involved with you because I want to see this $40 million be raised the right way. I think you're so correct about doing it so you know you have sustainability. But uh, I just want to thank you for what you do. I want to also thank you for what you do and the impact you have on many people that I've seen also come through there who have (laughs) gone from that office and done some great things. I want to thank you for what you do also. Well, you're, you're very welcome, but I couldn't do it if that place wasn't existing and I had you to follow, you know, so well, we keep doing it together. We, we're going to make it happen for a lot more people then. So I just appreciate you and thank you for coming on the show today. And I look forward to being at this great event on Saturday. I appreciate it. Have a fantastic day. All right, you too. We talk about perseverance. We talk about hanging in there. We talk about stay the course. You hear all these expressions. Forty years. He's not a southerner. He's a northerner, Yankee. He came down to the south and is walking in his purpose and has walked in it for forty years. So if there's someone you can idol, you know, a lot of times we look up, we idol all these people out there, these basketball players, these politicians. There's so many people in our community. And when you come Saturday, the 18th from 3 to 5.30, you're going to see unsung heroes that he's going to mention that have been selflessly creating the mission of the Apex and creating and supporting telling our story. So come out Saturday. I'll be pushing that out all week. Come out. I'll see you there. It's free, not even charging. Make a donation when you come, regardless. This is Mark Parham, Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. Thank you for coming out and listening. And as I say every week, I look forward to our next encounter. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us this evening on the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show with your host, Mark E. Parham. It is our mission to provide you with the information you need to make educated decisions, decisions that will help you walk in your purpose. We are here every Monday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To be a guest or for more information, go to capbuildertalk.com. Please post comments on facebook.com forward slash capbuildertalk. We hope you enjoy the show.